Hello, everybody. Harriet with the More Wine and Music podcast, a podcast where I discuss different types of genre of music over a glass of wine. Tonight, I'm going to be drinking some Ziffindale. And welcome to season two, episode number nine. Um, I want to give people an opportunity to come on in, come on in. I'm also on Facebook Live, so I'm going to be looking at both uh, screens here, laptop and also um, phone. So if you will, come on in. Okay, this uh, episode is brought to you by the More Hair Products Galore um, Company, LLC. It is a company where I have uh, three platforms of um, commerce, of hair and natural hair and skincare products, fashion, and also um, I also have um, two different podcasts. So if you will hit that like on anybody on Facebook, please hit that like and share, share the video share the video and um also i wanted to talk about um the the sale that i have going on on the more shopping.co that's the more online mall um i'm having a 25% off actually the sale ends today um if you go online I'm going to post it. Um, go online on Mo, More Shopping CO. You can get 25% off on all products that includes T-shirts and other accessories. Just use the code SUMMER25. Okay. All right. So enough of the commercial. This week, um, I'm going to be talking about uh, a well-known, but lesser known, but also well-known uh, musician, one of the greatest innovative uh, saxophone player in the jazz genre. And um, this one would be longer than the usual five minutes because there's a lot um, to talk about as far as um, this individual. And his name is Charlie... Parker, also known his nickname was um, Yardbird or Bird. So, but we're we're gonna start off going back to his earlier years before he became um, more known as Bird. Um, Charles Christopher Parker Jr. was born on August 29th of 1920. Um, his mother was uh, named Addie Bowley. And she was a maid and uh, and she was part uh, African-American and part Native American. She had Choctaw ancestry. His father was Charles Parker Sr. And he was an entertainer, but later he became a Pullman, which was um, worked on the railroad as a more or less like a, uh, a waiter on, on the trains. So that's basically what Pullman the job was. They, um, by the time they became 
by the time they became uh, older, actually, um, Charlie Parker was, um, he was the only child between Addie and um, Charles Sr. So at the age of seven, the parents, he and the parents and his parents moved to Kansas City, Missouri. And, you know, back then, Kansas City, Missouri was the up and coming jazz scene. So he was basically moved in the right um, place uh, to learn uh, and become a lover of jazz. Um, he did take less some lessons, but he was basically more self-taught in anything. He started off playing um, the baritone horn, but then after a while, he became a um, lover of the saxophone. So he started uh, to self-taught himself and to playing the alto saxophone. And I, and if anybody who knows how the sound of alt, uh, the alto sax, it does have a rich, uh, deep sound. Um, to give you an example, I think, um, let's see, uh, Boney James, he plays. Anybody who knows, anybody who's into the jazz, um, Contemporary jazz now, Boney James, I believe, plays the uh, the alto saxophone. So it, it, it's that rich, deep sound. Okay. Um, by the time of he became 15 years old, for some whatever reason, like I said, his father Charles Senior was worked as a Pullman, and uh, he eventually, whatever reason, his parents split up. And his father left him, young Charlie and his mother. So his young, you know, so it was just those two. Um, but uh, uh, Charles, Charlie, he went to school, but then he dropped out at the age of sixteen. And by sixteen, he was married <laughs> and had a, a, a young son. His wife was named Rebecca. Um, her Rebecca Ruffin. I think they were they were actually neighbors. They were kids together. But uh, so as they grew up as kids, they were young teenagers. So they decided to get married. Um, like I said, her last name was Ruffin. Don't know. I don't think it was uh, any relation to David Ruffin. Okay, so just just saying. Okay, so he got married at age sixteen. Dropped out of school got married at 16, had a son. So obviously he had a family to, to support. So he came again, um, he became good at what he, uh, his love of music in, in the saxophone player as being a saxophone player. So he went out and played among the scene. He kind of got himself, uh, acclimated on the, uh, jazz scene in Kansas City, Missouri. And he started hanging out in the nightclubs and that's how he began to get his gigs and his performance. And at that time he was, you know, as a young teenager, impressionable, I, I you know, can imagine. It doesn't say exactly how, but I, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, as most musicians did back then, um, when you're in that uh, particular scene, he started to dabble into, into drugs. So he uh, 
started, you know, was taking drugs at an early age. By the time he was 18, Charlie uh, left Kansas City and went to Chicago. In the meantime, Rebecca, his wife, Rebecca and his son stayed in um, Kansas. They didn't, they never traveled with him. He was out on the road on his own with, you know, bands hooking up. He was hooking up with different types of, you know, bands through here and there. And he um, made it to Chicago. He stayed there for a little while and then he went onward up to um, the, um, New York. And while in New York, he went to Harlem. And as uh, while waiting for the, you know, for some work as far as playing, he took a job as a dishwasher for a Harlem restaurant. And uh, it was there at, at, while playing and, you know, here and there, but still working as a, a dish player. He ran up on um, and met one another famous jazz uh, musician who was a, one of the great uh, jazz pianists, and that was Art Tatum. Art Tatum, if everybody, if anybody knows who he is, he was a innovator as far as playing. He had a different style of playing. And so Charlie met with him and he kind of um, gravitated to Art Tatum. And um, basically Art Tatum was the one who got him into more of the, start getting him some more gigs to play. And uh, by the time uh he started getting a little more popular. He decided to join the band who was called with a guy who the band leader called, um, his name was Jay McShann. And that is kind of the start of him becoming more and more popular. And this is where it gets interest, interesting because with the Jay McShann band, uh, Obviously, they would have to travel and they would be on the road a lot. So the interesting part of how he got his nickname was this. This is how the story went. One um, one day when uh, the band was traveling onto their next gig, their next des destination, they were three cars in tow that was part of the band that was traveling. They were traveling on a road. Um, a lot of times, I don't know if they were heading down south or, or wherever, but whatever, it, it was on a backcountry road. And they would um, pass by, you know, residential house, houses. And back then, especially if you're talking about the country, you think about farms. So the house, one of particular house that the entourage would pass by, it was a house in the yard was full of chickens. So it must have been some kind of um, farmhouse or whatever. And just as the car, the vehicle that Charlie was in, because Jay, Jay Michan was in one car and Charlie was traveling behind in another car and it was another car probably behind Charles, Charlie. But as the car was passing where Jay was, um, sorry, where Charlie was uh, riding in, a chicken just happened to come out of the yard and went on the road where the car was passing and the car inevitably hit the poor bird. So the car kept going, you know, and, but Charlie told the driver, hold on, 
you know, turn back around and pick up that bird, go get the bird. I don't want the bird on the, you know, laying there on the, on the road there, you know, he's, he's dead. So the driver went back, picked up the bird and the bird and he, and Charles, instead of burying the, uh, the yard bird, he carried it to the next des destination. And back then, as everybody knows, it was during segregation, it was during the Jim Crow and blacks could not uh, stay in, you know, various hotels, um, I, you know, it didn't matter whether they were um, musicians or what. And most of the time, a lot of the musicians, black musicians would um, find um, places to stay with uh local people, local other blacks in in the in the city that they were playing in. So um a lot of people will open up their houses for for these uh bland out of town uh, musicians. So the one particular house that where Charlie was staying, um the host who was a female and over as a husband and wife, but he asked the woman if he if she could uh, cook this chicken that she found that he actually, that, that the car hit, that hit the bird, he carried that dead bird to this, to, to where he's going to be staying. I don't know how long it was in between of uh, traveling from where the, you know, he hit that bird to the, to their actual destination. Again, I don't know exactly where they were going, but you know, he asked her, well, can you cook this chicken? you know, ring it thick or whatever, how they, how, however they do it. But, um, you know, she said, yeah, I'll, I'll yeah, sure. I'll, I'll cook it. So that was, uh, he ate, you know, that was, a, that was a feast for them. So after that, you know, his bandmates and friends called him either yard bird or, or bird. So here and after, this is what, who I'm going to refer Charlie as bird. Okay. So, in the meantime, while he's out on the road and, you know, touring and playing his home life, you know, well, he, there wasn't a home life. He wasn't there half the time. He wasn't there most of the time. So the marriage, obviously, you know, situations like that, when you have musicians that are on the road, it, it is a, it's very hard on a, on a marriage, especially if, your family is not traveling with you. So um, Bird wasn't on the road. I mean, wasn't at home a lot. So that causes a, a strain in the marriage. But it seems based on the documentation that I've read and, and I saw an actual documentary where she, you know, seemed like she was faithful to him. Um, but you know, he wasn't faithful to her. He, while on the road at some point, he had gotten into an accident and um, the accident was pretty bad where one of the, one of the passengers, there were three passengers, Bert was one of them. I don't know the other two. I don't know if it was a, a band member or, or a driver or what, but someone else, unfortunately, uh, was killed as a result of that accident and Bird himself suffered from fractured ribs. And 
as anybody would know, if you infect your ribs, you're in pain. And guess what? Even though he was dabbing into drugs, that really gave him an excuse to um, take painkillers. So because of the fractured rib that he suffered. So um, in the documentary that I viewed today about him was called uh, Celebrating Bird, The Triumph of Charlie Parker. His ex-wife, Rebecca, his first wife, she told the story of the first time she actually realized that he was an addict. Um, during the time, um, one rare occasion that when he was actually at home, uh, he called, he was upstairs in their bedroom and he called her to come upstairs. And she says she went upstairs, you know, to see what he wanted. He called for, her and he told her to sit on the other, he was sitting on one side of the bed and he asked her to sit on the other side. And she said he whipped out, he had a, uh, the rubber uh, tube and, you know, she jumped up and then she, she saw him, actually saw him put, you know, a needle in his arm and she jumped up, you know, because she saw the blood, you know, dripping. She said, well, what are you doing? You know, he didn't say one word. I mean, he was cool and, and calm as a cucumber. He stuck that needle in his um, vein, had that uh, tourniquet rubber on his arm, you know, tighten it to, so that bang, bang would pop out. And um, he methodically and calmly put that needle in his, um, in his arm. And she said afterwards, you know, she just, um, he just turned and looked at her you know, she's in, she's in shock. I mean, she's like, you know, horrified. She's, you know, just staring at what he was doing. And she said, um, he just, you know, looked at her and, you know, and gave, gave her a smile. And, um, he said, I'll see you later. So he walked out the house, left out the house. I mean, it was like, he was, you know, ate breakfast or something and saying, bye, I'll see you later. It was just so normal. And that was the first time that she actually saw him um, take, uh, and it was heroin. That was his drug of choice, was heroin. And heroin, as anybody knew even then to what it is now, it is a horrible, horrible um, addiction. Um and it, it, it takes a lot to actually get off of that stuff. So he would, um, from that point, I mean, it was on. He, he was a, I mean, he was an addict. He was an addict. He, he had to have, he had to have it. And to the point that he had to have it to where he had, that's the only time he was able to function. Um, but he would be, you know, be out in the road, you know, and get his stuff. And he'll be able to function up to play. And even, you know, band members and his playmates would, you know, say there were days where he would be at a recording session and they could tell when he was quote unquote sick, dope sick, because um, he he couldn't perform because he was so, you know, he was so beaten for that, for that shot, for that fix. And that's the only way as heroin users that was the only way you could function is, is to, you know, shoot up. And so once he was able to shoot up, he, he'll be fine. 
Um, he uh, eventually made a decision to leave his first wife. It wasn't something that uh, I, I don't think based on what I read and, you know, the documentary and everything that I, that people have said, and even what she said, it wasn't the fact that he didn't love her because he did. Uh, he wanted, he was very adamant about wanting to succeed in his career. So he um, came home one day and asked Rebecca to quote unquote, she said that he asked her, you know, please free me because I really want to pursue my career in music. So um, she didn't say anything. She didn't protest or anything. So he decided to choose his career over his family. But one thing that she did say that he, at that time, I guess his mom was living with um, his wife and, and son while he was on the road. So he told his mom, he asked his mom to make sure that, you know, sh that Rebecca and his son will never go without, they will not be, go without food. They will not go without, you know, shelter. Um, he made, you know, had his mom promise him that uh, whatever he's doing, whatever, that she will be taken care of. So, you know, that was the end of that marriage. Um, it seemed like he did have a caring heart despite of his, you know, demon that he's battling. He, you know, made a choice and, you know, I, you could, he could say that it was uh, the, uh, he wanted to pursue his career, but I think at the time too, drug overtook his life as well. So he's out there in the streets. Um, after he and Rebecca divorced, he was basically living from pillar to post. He was a full-blown addict. There were times where uh, he would get gigs. And when he, this is what's interesting about him. No matter, you know, he was a... Uh, Attic or whatever, but he had people that really believed in him and he, they knew his talent and they knew what he could, you know, what he could possibly be. So you have, he had people like Dizzy Gillespie, um, Louis Armstrong, um, and even, you know, Miles Davis. And I, I, I recall listening to, I had an autobiography book with about Miles Davis and Miles Davis in the autobiography did speak a lot about Bird. Um, they would get into it, but I mean, it's something about when they played together, they just had such a chemistry and Charlie himself, I mean, wherever he played, who he played with, he, he was so good that he created a chemistry with, with his bandmates. And that, that's why it was so sad to see that he's just, you know, his life of heroin use just overtook him. And, and after a while it, it became more than just heroin. He became an alcoholic. He, he had a, he was had a glutton. 
He was glutton for, you know, drugs and alcohol. And even to the point um, when you, you know, if you were a liquor drinker, which I'm not, um, you will only drink so much. Bird was able to drink like a glass, but it was like he drank that like it was like Kool-Aid. So, I mean, he would be drunk, a stupor. He'd be a drunken stupor, an addict. Um, and he had a high sexual appetite for women. So, I mean, he, he was like the extremist. He was very much an extremist. He would miss a lot of gigs. Um, the gigs, the, the bands that he was playing with. I mean, it seemed like he connected well with um, Dizzy Gillespie's band and also Miles Davis. Um, and Miles Davis, and anybody who knows Miles Davis, um, he was not an easy person to uh, to get along with. But, I mean, he, but then again, he was, uh, you know, but he did seem like he did really care about um, Bird. But again, you know, Bird was a self he self destruct because of the drugs. Um, later on in his life, uh, he met another woman. Um, she was a white woman named um, Chan, and eventually they became married. And out of that union, there were two girls, and I think she had two kids. Uh, prior to uh, meeting him, marrying him. So out of the two daughters, one of his daughters at three years old, the, he, uh, she, unfortunately, while he was out on the road um, playing, performing, she died of congestive heart failure. So that was in 1954. And that just kind of, that tore him apart that tore him apart. Um, he suffered a lot uh, mentally. He had to go into a mental institution and there were times where he was lucid. There were times where he would uh, become clean or, or get clean or try to become clean. He will come, he'll be clean for a while. Um, people, friends would help him, you know, they would get him off the street and especially because they, they want him to play with them because he's just such an innovator. One of the things that was what people say about the way he played that saxophone was that the saxophone, when he played that saxophone was like a human. And it just, he made that saxophone speak like, or, or you know, sound like a human. I mean, it, it was that, and nobody was able to do that up until that point. He just had that way of, of, of playing. And, you know, he was, that's why people, you know, bandmates, you know, Dizzy, everybody, they tried, they tried their best to keep him on the right and narrow. Um, he, and he would do what he would do, you know, pretty good for a while but then he'll relapse. He'll relapse. And um, he really relapsed after, you know, he lost his daughter and his daughter, you know, he, this happened while he was on the road. So that took him into a tailspin. He would 
basically lived from pillar to post. Um, he would uh, live in flop houses, boarding houses, cheap motels. Um, when he was drinking, uh, he would drink that cheap liquor. He developed bad ulcers and that cheap liquor just exacerbated, you know, it just made it worse. Um, so he, uh, he, he, he suffered a lot, um, with that. It was, he had a hard time kicking that addiction. Um, in 1954, same year after his, um, after, you know, after his daughter passed, Bert came to a revelation. He, um, he really wanted to get clean. He really wanted to change his life around. And one of the steps besides, you know, trying to detox and, or whatever is to make amends. So he knew he had to, all the years of, of the hurt that he caused people, you know, through his bandmates, you know, not showing up. And if he did show up, he would show up high. But when he did perform, he, he was on. He, he, he did perform high or not. Um, but he knew he had to um, kind of, make amends to people that he hurt. And the one person that he knew that he had to make amends to was his ex-wife, Rebecca. So he and his current wife, Chan, um, they went back to Kansas City because Rebecca never left uh, out of Kansas City. And um, they went to see Rebecca and Bird pulled Rebecca to the side and, you know, pretty much told her, I mean, they, they had a private chat, private moment. Um, and, you know, he told her that, you know, he asked her to forgive him for all the, the hurt that he caused. And if he could do things over again, if he had the opportunity to do things over, he wouldn't have never left, uh, you know, never left her and, and, and their son. And um, his wife, his ex-wife, you know, she forgave him. And then it, she had a uh, an inkling. She says, you know, when he said that, she's like, oh my gosh, he's dying. He's going to die. She just, I mean, basically anybody who wants to, you know, you pretty much kind of wonder. If anybody's coming back to make, you know, to atone for the, for what they did to you, um, one or two things, they're trying to actually turn their life around or there's something going on either, you know, deeper and her premonition was right. He was going to die, you know, at the time she didn't know when, but um, it was true. So, I mean, she just said, oh my gosh, you know he's, he's, he's going to die, you know, for, for him to come all the way back to Kansas city and, and just, you know, particularly make sure that he um, reconciled with her and what he did and how he left 
um, that was just a revelation to her that, you know, he, his days were pretty much numbered and it, and it was, um, months later, Chan and he, him uh, separated. He left the house. He left again. It was back on the streets. He couldn't even at this point, I mean, he was so far gone as far as, you know, his drug addiction, he couldn't even get a, a, a job playing with anybody. Um, the little jobs that he give gigs that he did get, uh, they were nothing but, you know, storefront places, dives. I mean, a lot less than what he uh, was known and what was able and should have been perform uh, places where he should have been performing because he performed everywhere. He even got had an opportunity to go over to Europe and perform. That's how, you know, he was just a very, very good, very innovative jazz player. And if you listen to, listen, go back and listen to a lot of his uh, uh, playing with the, the with Dizzy Gillespie or Miles Davis, whoever he was playing at the time. Um, he, you could tell he was he stole the show because of his playing. Everybody loved the way he played. So to go from the top and then just drop down to the mere bottom to where you know you're playing in front of a storefront knowing the talent that you have and, and, you, and you're you know sleeping on bathroom floors you're homeless you're just looking raggedy you're just just through all because you know because of this drug addiction it, it, it was just too much so in um March 9th of 1955, he happened to, uh, was able to stay with uh, a friend that he had met and she was, her name was um, Baroness. She was some a wealthy uh, woman that was, uh, who loved the sound, you know, who loved the jazz music, who enjoyed uh, listening to the, uh, the, the, performance this so she would go to a lot of the clubs and befriend a lot of the uh, musicians so she lived in this fancy um, hotel in New York and often she would um, invite a lot of the jazz musicians like Dizzy and Miles and all the other uh, perf jazz performers that were performing um, in New York at the time to her apartment and um, she happened to run up on um, Bird. And so she invited him back to her place to, you know, to stay, to kind of get himself off the streets. She offered him a drink and um, surprisingly he, he refused because at the time his ulcers was just flared up. So obviously drinking, you know, liquor, that was just, you know, that would just, you know, pretty much make him jump out of his seat because, I mean, his stomach was so inflamed. So he just asked for a glass of um, ice water. And um, after a while, you know, he, he, he was there and he, he stayed a few days with her. And he she noticed that at first I noticed that he would uh, vomit when he, he, at one time he got sick to where he vomited. And when he vomited, he was throwing up blood. So he went to the hospital 
Well, uh, well, let me take that back. She called her doctor. So the doctor came to the to her apartment and he checked her. He and the doctor wanted to take him. You know, you need to go to the hospital. Bird didn't want to go to the hospital. So he was given um, some antibiotics and to put him to bed, you know, don't, you know, to stay in the bed, do not get up. Don't try to do anything. And then a couple of days later, there was some improvement. There was, I mean, he was starting to feel a little better enough to get out of the bed. So he got out of the bed. I mean, he was able to, he was feeling a little better. He wanted to get out of the bed. And so he went into um, the Baron's, his friend's living room and wanted to watch some TV. So she, she uh, you know, helped him sit down and watch TV. They were watching the show, um, the Thomas Dorsey show. You know, again, back then they had a lot of those um, variety shows. So he was watching the Thomas Dorsey show and um, there was one scene where uh, uh, somebody was doing a juggling act on the show. They were performing a juggling act and Bert, I mean, he was, he was in good spirits. He was laughing and, you know, joking and carrying on. And he was watching this juggling scene and he started to, while he was laughing, he, he started choking um, he couldn't stop choking. And the next, you know, I mean, he kind of slumped over and couldn't stop again, couldn't stop choking, couldn't get his breath in like a minute or two, he passed away. So he passed away. The medical examiner, um, determined that it was, it was a lumbar pneumonia, which I'm not really sure what that is. It's something I don't know. It was a certain, maybe it was a certain area um, of his body that uh, had a lot of congestion and pneumonia because I mean, if he was coughing and choking and carrying on and couldn't um, catch his breath, then that that's basically what uh, killed him. Um, also the medical examiner um determined that, you know, wrote in his report that he was a 55-year-old black male or Negro male or colored. I'm not sure. 55, he could have been colored then. Um, who died of lumbar uh, pneumonia. Well, that was incorrect because Bert was only 34 years old. When he died, he wasn't 55. He wasn't in his 50s. He was only 34. So that just goes to show how bad he must have looked to be, you know, thought of being older than what he actually was. So he died, you know, he died a tragic, it, it was, it's kind of sad when you think about it and when you, you know, read about his life. He was a good, good guy. Wasn't, uh, he seemed like he was well-liked by his fellow musicians. Everybody liked him. Everybody tried to help him, um, but uh, he couldn't help himself. The drugs, the alcohol, his lifestyle as a whole, um, 
ultimately took his life. So there you have it. Charlie Parker, one of the great innovators, jazz piano, uh, jazz piano, I'm sorry, jazz saxophone player of all times. Um, he didn't get his just dues as he should have. And, but I think now as, as always, now that he's been gone, it's over what, 60 something years, close to 70 years, um, he is now getting his uh, just due. So there you have it. Um, he's actually um, buried. He was buried back in um, Kansas City. Now, there was a little bit of discrepancy about that because his estranged wife, Chan, she um, stated that because they didn't have a marriage certificate, which leads me to believe that they were actually married. She really didn't much have a say so as far as his uh, funeral arrangements of where or where he's to be buried because she thought he would want to be buried by his daughter who uh, who they lost a year prior to 19, you know, in 54. But for, um, many people who knew him and where he came from, he came from Kansas City. So, and that's where his mother was. That's where, you know, most of his, where he grew up. So that's where he was eventually laid to rest in Kansas City, Missouri. All right. So that is it for episode number nine, The Life of uh, Charlie Bird Parker. Episode 10 next week, I think I will be talking about one of my all-time favorites in another short life, but made a, a huge impact in jazz. And that is John Coltrane. So there you have it. You guys stay safe. And uh, I will talk to you next week. Good night.